The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Okay, so um, intro to Tehillim. So the plan is today we're going to do an overview and then the methodology. And then next time we'll do some like quick applications of methodology to Tehillim that uh, you're familiar with uh, to like, you know, solidify it. Okay, so um yeah, I just said that. <laughs> Present an overview. Oh, also, so overview, and then um, there are three methodologies I use, and I kind of use them together, and then like uh, assorted tips, okay? And the goal is to get you to learn Tehillim on your own, and I'd say Tehillim is almost easier to learn on your own than Mishle in the sense of the method. Mishle, like, it takes a while to get like a sense of what a Mishleic idea is, but Tehillim, when I give you these methods, you'll be able to do it on your own, so that's that's the goal at least. Okay, so who is the author to Safer Tehillim? And this is a trick question. Uh, Okay, so David is the uh, is is the is definitely an answer, but then there's a trick answer. Um, Anche Knesset put it together. Anche Knesset Abdullah definitely uh, did a lot of editing and uh, and and compilation and stuff. The trick answer is that there are some prakim that are attributed to other people. So one that you might have heard of is Tefillah Lemosha, right? Like there's a parak that starts Tefillah Lemosha. There's Mizmosher Libene Korach. You know, so the question is, are those also written by David and he he just wrote them as Moshe? Are those like written by Moshe and then passed down and like David like wrote them down, but they were ball pair? Is it like, you know, is it just an idea? So so but you can assume that it's mostly David and Melch. Okay. When was Safer Tehillim written? <laughs> uh, always a safe answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, that made me happy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the ones written by David were obviously written when he was alive, right? So, but these other prakim were some. Some of them were written before, and then some of them, it's possible, were written after. And what Gula mentioned about the. Um, like, for example, there's a parak of Al-Naharos Bavel, right, on the rivers of Bavel. Now, when is that about? That's in the first Galus. That was 400, well, more than 400 years after David and Melech, you know? So, like, did David write with Ruach HaKodesh? Was it written later on and incorporated into Tehillim? All these are our questions, okay? What time period are the Prakim about? Also, varies. Okay, so the general thing, and th- this is, like, a good thing to keep in mind, some pertain to the past, some are in the present, and then some who, if you hold it was written with Ruach HaKodesh, which seems to be the general assumption, that's why it's in Ksuvim, then it was written about the future. Okay, but the question is like, this is always a question about Ruach HaKodesh, is do you treat it like, almost like you would treat Nebuah? Like, is it does it have specific information about the future, or is it just like general stuff about the future? Let's say like you have a parak about Mashiach. Do you treat that like a Nebuah about Mashiach, or do you just treat that as ideas about the future? Okay. How long is Sefer Tehillim? How many chapters? Anyone know? And I'll give you twenty-seven. Uh, no, but you're you're you might be close to uh, my answer. Oh, getting closer. <laughs> so uh. it's standard answer is it's one fifty. Okay, uh, and you'll know this because in t- in Pesukah de Zimra every morning you start with Ashrei and you go till the end of the book of Tehillim. So Ashrei is one forty-five. You read from one forty-five until one fifty. Okay, so you finish Sefer Tehillim. But what Gula, I think, was referring to was 147. There is a Midrash or a Gemara that says it's 147. And so it's a Machlokas, whether there's 147 or 150, which means that sometimes you'll look up a reference in Tehillim and the number will be one off. 
because if you hold there's only 147, then obviously you're going to have to divide the chapters differently, you know? So just something to be aware of. What does it matter? So I guess the thing that would matter is how you learn that chapter, the chapter that Tamak Lok is about, mm-hmm. of like what the theme is, you know? Like uh, if it's one theme or Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, oh, remind me, by the way, after we're done with here, I have one more psychology follow-up, but not, not related to this. I just don't want to forget. Yeah, okay. And also it is, uh, I tried looking up what the longest books of Tanakh are. And I couldn't tell if the answers were based on like the English Bible or the Hebrew Bible, but it seems like the contenders are Yirmiyahu, Breshis, and Tehillim. So Tehillim is definitely up there. Okay, it's one of the longest books in Tanakh, uh, but yeah, 150 chapters. There's a lot to learn. Is it really thin? Yeah, if you got a pocket with your Tillin. 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 I that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure actually. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember offhand how many uh, words there are. Uh, okay, so uh, what is the subject of Sefer Tehillim according to your understanding, or what would you guess it is? Okay, a lot of praise of Hashem. In fact, it's the book that we use to get most of our words for our tefillahs and brachos from. So that's definitely in there. Okay, that's also in there. That's good. That's good. Okay, Office Gem is definitely a big part of it. So I, I obviously there's different answers you can give to this. Uh, here's how I think of it is uh, if I had to put it in a sentence, a cumbersome sentence, man's relationship to Hashem and Hashem's relationship to man and to the rest of his creation. And just to break it down here. So man, I mean, human beings in general. Okay, man and women, right? Men and women. B'nai Israel in particular. And then the Yachid, uh, which I, the translation is the individual, but I mean like the person who is striving to follow Hashem's ways, whether that be a tzaddik or a chassid or like the, the it's not like an all or nothing thing, but like the 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 person who is like David HaMelech in that that he's seeking a, a relationship with Hashem and, uh, and it's for that person. Okay, so that's man. Man's relationship to Hashem is how we're supposed to relate to Hashem in our thoughts, emotions, and actions. So that's where like Ava Hashem would come in. That's where there's a lot of stuff in here about mitzvos. There's a lot of stuff in here about trusting in Hashem. So that's how we relate to Hashem. And then how Hashem relates to, to us is Hashgacha Pratis, Hashgacha Klalis, and then Torah. Okay. And I think everything falls into one of those three categories. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's, those are the subjects here. Okay. So it's basically the book about the relationship to Hashem. Now there are other books about relationship to Hashem, like Shir Shirim, but Shir Shirim is all about Avas Hashem. And let's say another one is, let's say like, uh, you know, Eov is like relating to God is justice, you know? Um, but this is like the most broad thing about the relationship itself. Okay. What's the purpose of Sefer Tehillim? So you can probably guess based on the content. Like what is this? So let's say like Mishle is training you to make decisions in, in everyday life. You know, um, Eov is, uh, is getting you to be reconciled with, uh, with bad things that happen. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So I, I, I put it as to develop our relationship with Hashem and I, I want to specify it's intellectually and emotionally. Okay. And this is a rule of thumb that Rabbi Moskowitz always said is um, when you see a book that repeats itself a lot, then you know that it's not for the mind, it's for the emotions because the mind only needs to see an idea once in order to get it clear, but the emotions need to hear the same idea many times from many different angles and many different situations because different things hit people in different ways, you know? So tell him, <laughs> 
150 chapters. It's not every puzzle gives a new idea. And like, I'm sure you've read enough to Hillen just in the davening that like, it's very rep- repetitive. You know, it's like a lot of the same ideas all in o- over and over and over again. So it is giving you ideas, but it's also reinforcing those ideas uh, emotionally and like, and, and, you know, our, we, we've talked about this in davening group a lot. That's what it means to have an emotional relationship with Hashem is, is your mind sees it, but your emotions are disconnected from it. And so you have to like get your emotions on board by showing them the ideas in a way that is in their language that they can understand. Let's say like for trusting their Hashem, you have to take, you know, you have to walk yourself through these scenarios where, where I'm in a situation of trouble. What do I do? How do I take security in Hashem? What does that mean? You know, what are the benefits of that? And you have to like, just like Mishlei, basically. I mean, I know everything's like Mishlei, mm-hmm. but you know, it really, it, to me, it's like, you know, because you've had experience with Mishlei where there's one idea in Mishlei, which is make decisions based on consequences. But in order to really internalize it, you have to go through case after case after case in all the particulars. You're doing that in Tehillim, but instead of decision-making, it's relating to God. Okay. And that is also the purpose of saying Tehillim. There's no other book of Tanakh where there's a thing of like, like, there's no like, oh, you know, we're going to have a Mishlei group where we get together and say Mishlei, you know, <laughs> or like, or, or even like the Torah, like you have Kriyas Torah in public, but there's no like, like, like saying it like as an activity. What was it? Christians do today. Yeah, yeah. Bible person. Yeah, right, right. And not that that's bad. I'm just saying that we don't have like an idea of that in, in, in Judaism as practice. Davening. Right. But even davening is like a, a different thing where you are like, if it's tefillah, it's engaging in self-reflection through those words. So the activity is self-reflection, or if it's praising God, you're using the words of the tefillah to praise him. But when you're sitting there saying to him, you're not, you're not necessarily praising God, you know, or asking God, you're reading the words of praise and, and request and thanks. So what is that? So it is to strengthen the relationship that you are cultivating through learning it, but then also to merit Hashgacha Pratis. And I'm sure you've, I mean, we're not going to go into the topic unless people are interested at some point of like, I feel like I did this in, in Shahavit once when you're about saying to him for the sick. Yeah. yeah right. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The Zorg of needs, right? So there is an idea of saying to Hillen, and there's certain issues about how you should and shouldn't say it because there's like halakhic issues. But there is an idea of saying to Hillen actually gets you closer to God and makes you merit Hajgacha Pratis. So how does that work? So again, it's a whole topic, but the the best summary I've seen is in this little passage from the Sefer Achinach. So it's funny. It's in the Sefer Achinach on the Isser to say magic words and believe that they have a power. So in it, he's trying to differentiate between the Isser and saying to him. So the Isser is when you say words and believe that the words themselves or the recitation has a magical effect on the world. But to him, how does that work? So he says, Chazal he's kiru lomar mizmorim elu. So Chazal mentioned to say these Psalms and Chazal basically say certain prokim you say for certain things. Like you say to him, uh, Tzadi Aleph, uh, if you're in danger of like being afflicted by a plague or something like that. That's the one that I used to do in, uh, remember those days when we had the like Tehillim or Tefillah group when we were on Zoom after the pandemic? It was optional, so not everyone went. Was it? Yeah, I think it was every morning and there was a rotation of some sort, you know? So I used to do Tehillim 91 because of this thing. And it says, you know, because it's about a plague. So Chazal mentioned to say these Psalms, Sheesh Bim Tavarim, that inspire the soul that knows them to take shelter in Hashem and to place all of one's security in him to establish a fear of him in, in a person's heart to rely on his kindness and goodness and as a result of this he's literally means like like 
awakening, stimulation, motivation, you know, inspiration. Yihi nishmar nezek. He will be protected from every harm without a doubt. Okay, so that's the idea of saying to Hillam, which is you are. First of all, what is it assuming in order for this to work? What must you have in terms of like what? What's the additional quality other than saying the Hillam? You have to understand what you're saying. The whole idea is you're saying it, and like it's almost like a a self pep talk, you know. Uh, but to get you to like like trust in Hashem, you know. So you 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 sit there and you you learn the Hillam, and when you're learning, you're trying to understand the ideas. But then you go back and you say them at times of trouble or at times of thanks or at times of whenever it's appropriate to review the ideas and to let them impact your soul in, in order to, uh, to like cultivate that relationship with Hashem. And then as a result, you get hashgacha and it protects you from harm. Now you can learn that in different ways. Like, you know, um, certainly it's true what we said about the hashgacha practice chart that like the more knowledge you have in close your to Hashem, the more God will actually intervene in your life. But then there's also, we learn from Eov. Yeah. Five <laughs> the five points. Exactly. Right. Is that, um, uh, and I'm not talking about the five point. Okay. This is a bad joke. <laughs> there's a place called. The, yes, 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 yes. In, in history. Yes. The five points in New York. Oh, is that what you're talking about? No. no oh, okay. 14 points. Oh, oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> when you said five points, I was like, uh, yeah, no, whatever. Anyway. Um, but, uh, the idea of Eov, uh, that one of Eov's mistakes was that he thought of all good and benefit in terms of physical good and benefit. So he thought that when God, when he gets good stuff, it's God rewarding him. And when he gets bad stuff physically, then it's God punishing him. But then as you learn and get closer to God, you start to realize that the true good and bad in life is not the physical stuff. It's your spiritual life. It's your, your knowledge, your ability to choose, you know? So question what the Savior means by you'll be protected from every harm, you know, like, like, you know, there is a certain literal truth to that, that you're, you'll come under Hashgaka Pratis. But I think what he means is that the more you learn to heal him, the more your values will be in line with what the true good is. And you will be protected from, from real harms. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be like protected from, uh, you know, from, doesn't guarantee that you're going to be protected from like, you know, physical stuff that happens to you, but you will relate to it in the proper way and not view it as a harm. So that's the idea of saying to him. And in fact, I think you can relate to this. Those of you who like music with lyrics, um, that sometimes you, you know, you are, you use the music and the lyrics to kind of like, like put yourself in the right mood to think about things, but it's not just a, like focusing on ideas. It's focusing on ideas in a way that hits all your emotional channels to like internalize the ideas, you know, like, like if you're really sad, you like use a sad song to like amplify and like express the ideas. And then like, it leads to like a, like a, like a feedback effect of like, you know, you hear, you, you have someone who's really good at expressing the ideas and then that causes you to think about them differently and it hits your emotions and then back and forth and back and forth. Does that make any sense? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's really how Tehillim were designed because it's songs, you know? Um, and, and it's just that you're doing it through like, like philosophical ideas uh, not just like people talking about their romances, you know? Yeah. Also, like that's why I think it's interesting when you like tools like don't turn like Dobbin in song, mm-hmm. song alone. Yeah. I think it's more impactful. Oh, hundred percent. And and halakhically, you're supposed to s- certain things you're supposed to sing. Like you're supposed to sing halal. You know, you're supposed to sing. Um, you know, like uh, you know, certain brachos and stuff. You know, and it's because it it, it affects the emotions, uh, and that that's definitely encouraged. And that's also why there's like you know, a whole, I mean, one aspect of Tehillim, which we're not going to get into because no one really knows about it that much is, you know, in the first 
uh, pasuk of a lot of Prakim of Tehillim, it has these weird statements of like, Lam Natseach, or like Al Hagitis, or like Al Hashminis. And it seems like the, there was, you know, the Levim sang the Tehillim, and there were like certain musical directions, and there was a whole Chachma of music that accompanied Tehillim, which we lost the Masora for, that was designed to like, you know, um, uh, put yourself like melodies and 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 musical modes that that matched the uh, that matched the, the the ideas, you know. And like, unfortunately, that was lost. But the closest thing we have to that, I'm bringing it up because what you said is, you know, there are Ashkenazic uh, and Sephardic melody. I mean, I'm sure more than Ashkenazic and Sephardic. There are melodies that like are hundreds or thousands of years old that have been maintained. That like people say like that that you know that whether by design or whether by the fact that it became the minhag, that the melody like does affect your emotions in a certain way when, when paired with the, uh, with the ideas, you know, I don't know much about that. I'm sure that's an area of psychology. I mean, now there's a branch of psychology of like music therapy and stuff like that. I'm sure there's lots of like cutting edge research into that. So I just don't know how to bring this uh, in, you know, into this. <laughs> People have asked me before of like, can you give a sheer on like the role of music in Judaism? And I'm like, cause they, cause I had a music background and Judaism background. I'm like, no. Cause like, no one knows anything about that. <laughs> you know, like we lost that whole Masora. Yeah, exactly. Like I would love to, but it's just, we don't know anything about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that much. It's not the gourmet clock music. <laughs> yeah. That one damages the soul. <laughs> For me anyway. Okay. And it's also not the ice cream truck in Far Away. Want to make a broccoli. <laughs> That's not what Levine did. <laughs> Oh, uh, that grates at my soul. Okay. Um, so in my experience, there are three, what I call modes of Tehillim. Okay. You see what I mean? Um, and, and this is from the Mepharshim. Okay. So like, and okay, well, I'll show it to you first and we'll talk. So one is biographical. Okay. There are certain things where David Melch is clearly talking about stuff that happened to him in his life. So you know, Dovin Melk, when, you know, there's some program that began Dovin Melk when he was fleeing from Av Shalom. Dovin Melk when, like, you know, when he faked uh, insanity for, you know, to, to disguise himself, you know. So stuff that was, like, about Dovin Melk himself, okay. Then there are something about the nation, okay, like, Batesi Yisrael Mimitzrayim Beis Yaakov Me'amlois, you know, or Al Naharos Bavel, you know, the Jews were mourning and stuff like that. Um, and that, again, could be about the past, the present, or the future. Then there were what I would call universal uh, prokim. So let's say Ashrei. Ashrei is not about David. It's not about Klai Yisrael as a whole. It's about how God relates to the creation, you know? Or let's say like, you know, certain prokim about, uh, um, you know, Hoda'a, just giving thanks to God, okay? Um, and those apply to all Jews or maybe even all humans at all times, and there's no historical context, okay? Now, when I say that the Mepharshim explain these things, then you'll... Uh, these categories are important to be aware of because when you start reading some of the Mepharshim, either they'll explicitly tell you how they're learning it, or you'll pick up on it and slot it into the category. And sometimes they'll give you options. Like I was doing the last parak of um, Hallel, the Radak, or sorry, the yeah, the Radak says you could learn this as about being about David Melch, or you could learn it about Klal Yisrael at the time of Mashiach. And he gives you two interpretations of it. And then the Malbim says it's about Chizkiyahu, you know? So like being aware that there are these three modes will help you to navigate and, and like get your bearings. Okay. Now, <laughs> just given this, um, if you had to pick which one, let's say you didn't know what mode to learn in. If you had to pick one, what do you think would be the most productive mode to pick? Universal, right? Okay. So this is my, one of my pro tips is when you're learning, 
default to the universal mode and for, for two reasons. One is, and this is like the laziness reason, but it's like a, a fair thing, is the other two modes take a lot of research. Like you guys, again, were Jewish children in Jewish day school. And so you have a lot of just background information about the events in David and Malik's life. I find myself without like a frame of reference. And I feel like if you say that a Perak of Tehillim is about a specific episode in David's life, in order for, really, for me to learn it, I'd have to go learn all those stories, learn all the ideas, and then learn the Perak of Tehillim, you know? Or let's say you have a Perak that's about, you know, Klaistral in the Midbar, you know, uh, like the, you know, some of the Prakim in uh, Kabbalah Shabbos, you know? So like, that's great, but I, I feel like to really learn it responsibly, you got to learn about those events in the Chumash, because this is presupposing that you know the Chumash, you know? So it's going to be a lot easier to just learn it as a universal. And then secondly, is even when you're learning the other two, you are trying to get a universal idea. Like when you're learning about David, the goal is not to just learn about what David did. It's about how he lived and how he took trust in Hashem and how Hashem related to him. So you're getting to universal ideas anyway. So if you could bypass the biographical or national and just go to the universal, that's great. Sometimes you won't be able to do it. Like in B'tai Sishra Mitzrayim, like, you know, like some of the Mepharshim will learn it about specific events that happened to Kalah Israel. So like you have no choice, you know, but I would default to universal. Okay. So now we get to the method. Okay. What is the method of learning safer to Helen? So uh, again, I don't know that there's the method, but I have three methods that overlap. Okay. And, and we're going to go through all of them. They are the classic method, the Adler's four questions method, and then the pivot point. Method, okay. So classic method is basically how we learned Mishle. It's how, uh, if you've been in, none of you were in my Chumash here, <laughs> uh, in our Chumash class in, in high school. It's how we do Chumash. It's how we do uh, Pirkei Avos, okay? Which is, I like to think of it as five steps, okay? Uh, what's the first step of learning a text? Read it, okay? Read it and translate it, yeah, okay, right? So you get the shot of the Pesukim. Now, here there is one uh, exception, which is, oh, sorry. Oh, did I delete this? Okay, we'll see if I have an asterisk after this. <laughs> I think I actually moved this to some other place in the PowerPoint. So you get the Peshat of the Pesukim. What are they saying? Okay. Then after we read, what do we do? Ask questions, right? Uh, major and minor, obvious, non-obvious, factual, and conceptual. Now, the difficulty is on a Pesukim and Mishle, you know how many questions we often get. Okay. Or Mishle and Pirkei Avos. Tehillim is not one Pesukim. It's like, you know, anywhere from five to 10 to 50 mm-hmm. psukim. The, 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 the longest parak is parak 119, which has over 100 psukim. It has like 160 something psukim. So, you know, maybe good idea, just focus on the major questions, you know, but if you want, you could be exhaustive. Okay. Then after we do questions, theories, theories yeah, thinking, thinking is in, thinking and theories. So, Either, like in Mishle, try to figure out answers to individual questions or try to get the main idea to unlock the entire parak. okay? Then after you do that, after you have the theory, Mepharshim, yeah. So uh, I, this you could divide in different ways, okay? Uh, I would say, I guess I divided it here into thinking, which is like the brainstorm phase. And then once you get a main idea, like try to state the main idea as clearly as possible and then I divided it into test the main idea, which is see if it answers all the questions, see if it fits the words, um, see if it's in line with reality, check the Mepharshim and see what they say. I, I forgot to include that as a step. Let's see if I added the asterisk. No, I didn't. Yeah, I guess I, I, I moved it later on. Okay, so this is the classic method. You could do this. Uh, it, and I, if I sound like I'm hesitant, it's because I tried this for many years and got too overwhelmed. Okay, because it's, it's, lo- <laughs> is long and it's difficult and like, 
you know, again, it's not just one Pasuk or one Mishnah. And so you're going to, it's easy to get lost. So ideally this is great. And for the short Prakim, it's great. Like I just did one, uh, I'm doing one now in my Tilim Shia that's only six Pasukim. Okay. So like that, that's basically just learning like a long Pasukim Mishle. You know, it's totally fine. Okay. The next method is the one I use uh, uh, the most. Um, well, the next two methods really. So Mortimer Adler, who I've quoted before, first book I've read from him, I read from him, it was called How to Read a Book. Okay. And, uh, and he shows you how to read books. <laughs> okay. He has a question. So his, he has a, it's a very, you know, elaborate book. And then he summarizes it at the end into four steps. And the four steps that you, you do when you're reading any book. And I think this is for nonfiction books. Okay. Is you ask four questions. What is the book about as a whole? He says, uh, you must try to discover the leading theme of the book, how the author develops this theme in an orderly way by subdividing it into its essential and subordinate themes or topics. So basically get the main idea. Okay. Two, what is being said in detail and how you must try to discover the main ideas, assertions, and arguments that constitute the author's particular message. So basically major picture and then details. Okay. Three, is the book true in whole or in part? You cannot answer this question until you have answered the first two. You have to know what is being said before you can decide whether it is true or not. When you understand a book, however, you are obligated, if you are reading seriously, to make up your own mind. Knowing the author's mind is not enough. And this is a critical step that I hope we convey to you in Shalhavit, but I feel like it's very easy for a person to go through education and never actually do this step, where they think that, to them, learning is getting the author's opinion, and as opposed to getting the author's opinion and then forming your own opinion about the author's opinion, you know? Um, and, like, it's, it's very important to do that in books. And then what of it or so what, if you want to be more blunt, if the book has given you information, you must ask about its significance. Why does the author think it is important to know about these things? Is it important to you to know them? And if the book has not only informed you, but also enlightened you, it is necessary to seek further enlightenment by asking what else follows, what else is further implied or suggested. You know, is this the end of a journey or the beginning of a journey? Where's the next step, et cetera. Yeah, is when you read a book, you can get what the author is saying the main point, you get the details and you can understand whether it's true. Then the question is, what do I do with this? If it's a practical book, what practical, what do I do next? How do I implement this in real life? You know, if it's a theoretical book, what effect does this have on the way I view the entire subject? You know, uh, what do I investigate next? You know, what questions are left unanswered? You know, um, uh, what else has the author written that would supplement, you know, my knowledge? You know, so where do I go next, basically? Yeah. Number three, how, does, how do you deal with that? Ah, so here's what I what I did. I reformatted this for Tehillim. Okay. So, and, 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 and number three is the one that is the most different. Okay. So what is the parak saying as a whole? What is the theme or subject of the parak? What's the main idea or message? Now, the reason why I like this is because what you can do is take the Tehillim. Let's say it's a parak of Tehillim with 20 psukim. Okay. Forget about all the details. Okay. And, and if you're trained in Mishle, like, it makes it easier because you're used to trying to get the main idea, but like, uh, it, you know, it, this allows you to forget about the details. Just what is the main idea? I can't explain every puzzle. I can't explain why he does this or that. Just what's the main idea. Okay. Second question is what is the parak saying in detail and how, what do the individual psukim mean? Why this word, not that word. What are the, why are the psukim ordered in this way? Why does he say these things in this way? What are the particular questions? You know, get the, the, uh, the details. Okay. Um, okay. Um, and, oh, I'll tell you afterwards, uh, three. Okay. So is this true in whole or part? Now I'll, I'm just using Adler's words. It's not enough to rely on David's authority. Meaning we can assume that what he's saying is true, but you, it's not enough if you're a rationalist, right? Which is, 
you have to be convinced to the satisfaction of your own mind to the point where you can convincingly explain and ideally rationally demonstrate these ideas to someone else. So let's say, for example, he says, God opens his hand and, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Okay. Really? Every being is, is satisfied? Like, is that actually true? So David says it, but like, I see people, you know, or here, here's a more particular example. That lions might starve and hunger, but those who seek Hashem will not lack any good. Really? There have been no cases of starvation of tzaddikim? Like, so like, yeah, you, you, you know, David Melech is saying it's true. You're not going to be a denier of Torsh Bixav, but like, but it's not enough to understand that he's saying it. You, you have to be convinced of it to your, your own mind and you have to know, or to what extent, you know, or like, it doesn't ring true to me, you know, like if it doesn't ring true, like you can intellectually know it, but then there's something lacking emotionally, you know? So there's a lot of work to be done here also. Yeah. So, so I, I, like I said, these do overlap, and it's just a question of operations. That when I have to, actually, I'll, can I hold on to that for one second? Um, let's do the fourth one, and I just have a comment on this, and I'll, I'll address that. And then the last step. Yeah. Is there something going on here after? Oh, oh, she's asking us. To, okay, okay. Yeah, I thought she was asking us if we want to leave the lights on. I was like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, what of it? What is the purpose of the parrot? And, and specifically, what effect is this supposed to have on us? How are we supposed to change our lives or our relationship with Hashem? Because that's the purpose of the book. Okay. Now, when I do this method, okay, oftentimes, here is how I will prioritize it. Okay. Question one, then question four. Then question two, then question three. Okay. And what, the reason why I prioritize it that way is sometimes I just don't uh, have the time or patience to spend a month on one parak of Dylan, you know? So as long as I get the main idea, then that's fine. But ideally, if I get the main idea and then I figure out how to apply it, then that's even better. And then I'll just rely on, on the Masora, you know? If I have it even, if I want to get it even clearer, I'll understand what each of the Pesukim is saying so that... I make sure to check the main idea in all of its details. And then like, if I want to spend the time to investigate this, then I'll do it. And the reason why that that's last is because let's say, for example, like David Mel has something about Hashgach Pratis, you know? So as we've encountered, Hashgach Pratis is a very, very deep and broad topic. And I might not be up for like spending like months researching one, one uh, question on Hashgach Pratis, you know? So like, I'll still get the ideas and I'll be relying on him, but I'm just not going to go into it to get a firsthand understanding of it. Or like, let's say, for example, it's a, a parak about mitzvos and WML is giving me certain things about mitzvos, but to really verify it, I'd have to go into a deep question. Like what are chukim and like investigate that in full, you know? So like, I, I, I'll rely on what David Melch is saying. And like, when I'm in the mood, I'll go into it and in, to verify it firsthand. And when I'm not, I won't. So what you're saying about this method and the previous one, is I've just found that when I when I do the previous method and I try to raise all the questions and I try to answer all of them, I just get too overwhelmed or I get too bogged down in details. But when I do this method and I do it in the order I just said, okay, let me just get the main idea. And if I get the main idea and that's all I get, then I'm good. Okay, I got the main idea. What effect does this have? You know, it's just a much more manageable method for me, even though it does take you to the same places. I feel like the first one you're
Well, you are trying to figure out what it is saying as a whole and what, what his intent is, you know? So what do you mean by like reading your understanding into it? I mean like the first one. Yeah. I'm just thinking. The first method or the first step? The first method. Yeah. I'm thinking of Michelin more. And I'm thinking there, like you read it and it's pretty unclear. Right. Like you can't just say the main idea. Like read it. Right. So one of the differences in Michelin though is that Michelin is the style of proverb that he does is, is it's written cryptically. Like he calls them riddles, you know? And that's often why your first impressions are totally off. In Tehillim, it is a song and it often does have an evident unity. So your first impressions are often more on target than in Mishle. It, this is my, in my experience. I'm not saying this based on any authority. Um, and so, so if you like, um, uh, so if, if okay, I'll, I'll stop and say this as, as like a, uh, as a, a story, I might have said this before. So when I was in, back in my yeshiva days, so both of your grandfathers had a chavrusa before Hanates. Okay. So I used to be one of the first ones down and I would come down and they'd already been learning for a long time, you know, and they would learn. And I, I saw this for years. Okay. And like, I think they used to learn the Minchas Chinuch, which is a commentary on the Sefer Chinuch. And then one day I noticed they were learning Tehillim. They went through all of Sefer Tehillim. Okay. They just learned all of it, you know, and I'm pretty sure given the pace at which they went, that this is what they were doing is they were getting, they were doing, reading the parak. I think they used the Mitsudas David for uh, when they had questions. And then they just tried to get, what is the main idea I get out of this parak and then move on. And then they're, they're realizing that they're not going very, 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 very in depth, but there are benefits that you get from like a, a, a bird's eye perspective or, or a Bacchus type thing, or like, what's the, just the, 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 the main impact that this has on me. And I, I have found that there is value in that. So, so yes, you do run the risk sometimes of projecting your own ideas into it. But I found as a whole that you could still get good stuff out of it. And if you're intimidated or you don't have time or whatever, or let's say like you're in, in stuck in shul on like Yom Narayim and like you have nothing to do, bust out a parak of Dalem and just like think about it and say like, what's the main idea I can get out of this? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That's Is there any before? Oh, yes. You know, it's funny. I didn't even, I have my own like power rankings about which Mepharshim I like in Dalem, which I didn't include in the PowerPoint. So if we have time, we'll talk about that. Maybe I'll put it to do it next time. So, uh, so we're in this. So I, I would do the Mafarsh. So here, okay. Um, I actually talk about that at the end. Yeah. Now this is, if there's any unique contribution to have to the method of Tillam, it's this. Okay. So I, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know if I came up with this or Rabbi Moskowitz came up with this or my Chavrusa Ken came up with this, or if we all came up with it together. Uh, Cause it was so long ago that I don't know. Each pair of Tillam I hold has a pivot point. Okay. And it's, where the parak shifts from one theme to another or one tone to another or one subject to another or one style from uh, to another. And, uh, and uh, that, that's, that's the pivot point theory. Okay. So the method is like this, identify the pivot point. We're going to do this in a little while, analyze the part of the parak before the pivot point on its own, like just ignore the second half, treat it on its own and then try to get the main idea. Then analyze the part of the parak after the pivot point on its own and try to get the main idea and then figure out the main idea, which unifies both halves and then justifies the pivot. And if you'll notice, essentially, what am I doing in this method? I'm making, I'm making it Michelin, making it Michelin. <laughs> right? Because Michelin works in opposites. And, uh, and, and we've, we've had the experience before of like with Michelin, the fact that it works in opposites makes it easier to think about. Because then you're like, well, how is this the opposite of that? And then it gives you like a it gives you a, a mission. You know, my mission is to figure out both halves of the puzzle and see how they are unified. And in Tehillim, it's the same thing. 
Okay. Um, and I'm going to walk you through a bunch of examples really quickly. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I really should have printed handouts because I realized that the text is going to be very small, but hopefully you can bear with me. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'll, I'll show you these examples. Okay. So uh, this is Mizmor Shirley on Mashabas. Okay. Uh, which we say at least once a week. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to read it in English and you tell me which, what you think the two halves are. Okay. And just open your mind to like hearing, you know, picking up on themes. Okay. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to thank Hashem and to sing to your name, O exalted one, to recount your kindness in the morning and your faithfulness in the nights. Upon a ten-string instrument and upon a lyre, that's like a harp, with singing accompanied by harp. For you have gladdened me, Hashem, with your actions. About your handiwork, I will sing joyously. Which, by the way, that's talking about, Shripshot is that uh, it's talking about the, um, the, the, uh, about nature. Okay, about the universe. How great are your works, Hashem. How very deep are your thoughts. A boorish man doesn't know. You know what a boor is? It's like a fool, okay, like a, 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 someone who doesn't have knowledge. A boorish man doesn't know, and a fool doesn't understand this. When the wicked bloom like grass and all the doers of iniquity blossom, it is to destroy them forever and ever. Uh, but you remain exalted forever, Hashem. For behold, your enemies, Hashem, for behold, your enemies shall perish. Dispersed shall be all doers of iniquity. You raise my pride like a raim. I was saturated with fresh oil. My eyes have seen my foes. When those who would harm me rise up, my ears have heard. A righteous person will flourish like a date palm and like a cedar in the Lebanon, he will grow tall. Planted in the house of Hashem, in the courtyard of our God, courtyards of our God, they will flourish. They will still be fruitful in old age, vigorous and fresh they will be. To proclaim that Hashem is upright, my rock in whom there's no injustice. So did you sense a pivot? And if so, which Pasuk or... Okay, good. So seven is the pivot. So what would, how do you characterize the theme of the first half? Okay, praise and specifically praising Hashem for what? Or about what? Okay, so it's, it is interesting. It doesn't really speak about it. I mean, it, it starts off with kindness and goodness, right? But it really focuses on Hashem's handiwork and the creations. Like I was saying, it's about the universe and how great are your works, Hashem? How very deep are your thoughts, meaning as reflected in the universe? And a Buddhist man doesn't know and a fool doesn't understand this. Now, what would you say the second half is talking about? Exactly. is how Hashem treats people who do and don't know him and the tzaddikim and the rashaim and how the tzaddikim will flourish and the rashaim looks like they're flourishing, but they're not. So two themes. So if we were to learn this, which is the plan to do next Friday, okay, we, we, this is the first one that we'll do, so you can think about this on Shabbos now, okay, is what is the main idea of the first half, then what is the main idea of the second half, and then what's the unity? Okay, now, ah, so, okay, I'm glad you noticed that. So this is what I, oh, you can't, oh, you can't see it, yeah, yeah. So this is what I call a true pivot, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you notice how green is a combination of blue and yellow, yeah, right? So, um, sorry, not true pivot, uh, that was my old term. I call this a hinge pivot, a hinge pivot where it relates to both sides, okay? And you can see, if you learn seven as being a culmination of the first half, so then saying a boorish man does not understand God's works and his creations. But if it's talking about the second half, then what does the fool not understand? How Hashem treats Rashaim and Tadikim. Okay, so that will be an actual hinge. Okay, uh, let's do another one. Okay, this is really long. Uh, speed read this. Okay, for the conductor of Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and His handiwork is declared by the firmament. Day following day expresses speech, and night following night speaks knowledge. There is no speaker, and there are no words. Their voice is unheard. Throughout the earth, their measuring line goes forth, and their words reach the end of society. For the sun, He set up a tent in their midst. 
And it, the sun, is like a groom coming forth from his wedding canopy, rejoicing like a warrior to run the course. The ends of the heavens is its source, and a circuit is to the other end, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The Torah of Hashem is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Hashem is trustworthy, making wise the simpleton. The ordinances of Hashem are upright, causing the heart to enjoy. So the commandment of Hashem is clear. Do you see it? Eight. Yeah, eight. Okay, right? So the first half is talking about the universe. second half is talking about Torah and mitzvos. Okay, very clear. Um, what about this one? This is the shortest parak in anything in the entire of Tanakh. Praise Hashem, all nations. Praise Hashem, all regimes. For his kindness has overpowered us. But the truth of Hashem is forever. Hallelujah. Boom. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing. We joke, okay? But in every parak, it's not always clear what the pivot is. And usually in my literature, we often have a debate, okay, where to draw the line, okay? And that also, if you're learning Bukharusa, it makes it that you have something to work on. Where, like, is it this or is it that? And depending on how you divide it, you'll have different ideas. So I taught this uh, this year, and I was like, oh, jokingly, like... Yeah, right. Uh, sorry, you mean uh, if, if uh, yeah, right. So, so okay. Well, this is okay. We'll get to that in a second. Um, you could divide this in other places, okay? Like you could say like um, that one and the second half of two is all about God's goodness, but then the truth of Hashem is about like like it's Chesed is the first part, and then Ms is the second part. You know, you could divide it differently. Yeah, yeah, right. So when we we learn it, yeah, um, this is a tricky one. Uh, this is a f- famous one. Uh, a psalm by David: Hashem is my shepherd; I shall not lack. In lush meadows he lays me down. Beside tranquil waters he leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no harm, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Uh, you will prepare a table before me in the view of my tormentors. You anointed my head with oil; my cup overflows. Only goodness and kindness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Hashem for long days. So, uh, so you're saying one, two, and three is one half, and then four, uh, five, and six is another half. Yeah, on what basis? The first half is saying how Hashem treats him, and the second half is talking about how he relates. To okay, Hashem. good. That is one possible pivot, and this is one where we had a debate, by the way. All except okay, all except six. Why? Okay. Five and six. Uh, okay. So here's what I would say. I would say five and six, and the reason why is is what type. Who's talking in the one through four and who's talking in five through six? As what? One through four is, is a sheep. One th- yeah. Well, it, but it, it's in martial form though. One through four is as a sheep and then five through six is as a human. Okay. Right. Be- that could be, but this is the, the I mean, in lush meadows, he lays me down beside tranquil waters. He leads me. Yeah. Right. God so God's my shepherd. Yeah. Right. So, so it's muscle nimshal or sheep and human because sheep don't sit at a table with cups, you know? Right. So, and the Ebenezer says this, by the way, and he actually like does it phrase for phrase. He says in pleasant meadows, you lay me, he lays me down. That's for human. You set up a table before me. That's for, sorry. Pleasant meadows is sheep. And then, uh, set up a table is for a uh, human uh, beside tranquil waters. That's sheep, you know, drink from the, the, the rivers. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's human liquid. Okay. Like that you drink liquid and you have oil on your head. When I walk in the valley of shadow of death, that's sheep in, in like dangerous locations. And in front of my tormentors is for human, you know? Um, but there are other ways to divide it. Um, here's another one. Shira Malos. Um, Okay, fine. Pivot there. Okay. Oh, so I, I was going to, okay, this one, uh, I'm just going to show you right now because we're running, running out of time. Do you mind if we go like f- five minutes over time? Okay. So um, you said, Elisheva, what about three three pivots? Okay. 
as I've been teaching Tehillim, I found that they all have pivots, but there are variants on pivots. So for example, this one, it's the first half is talking about the God's relationship to the universe. Then it talks about God in, and, and his relationship to Claudius Yisrael. And then it pivots back to God's relationship to the universe, you know, or we've had another parak, which I call, I don't, this is not really a good name, Venetian blind uh, pivots, where it's every other puzzle. <laughs> it's two themes and they're meshed together where it, it switches off between one and the other, one and the other. What was that? Like a poem. Like a poem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've seen like, uh, I've seen, you know, and I've also seen like uh, interlocking uh, Russian doll pivots is what I call it of like, it starts on a theme and then gets, uh, a sub theme and then a sub theme within that and then a sub theme within that and then a sub theme within that you know um so like uh, the, 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 this is i all count this as part of the pivot theme uh, the, the pivot uh um method and it's worked okay and this is you might be wondering ravish anyways is it really true that every parak has a, uh, a pivot point answer is i have no idea okay there are 150 pro, uh prokim and i i haven't even done a third of them yet well actually maybe by now i have uh no, maybe I haven't. Um, so I don't know. And there's a story. Uh, there's a not a story. There's a Rabbi Kiva had a theory. You know, like the word S in the Torah oh, is like yeah. yeah, right. So he uh, he he had a way of of, uh, of interpreting every word of of S. And then he found like one case that he couldn't explain. So like okay, there goes the theory. <laughs> you know. So um, the only way to know is if you try it and then see if it succeeds. You know. And so far it's been succeeding for me. So I, I think it does have merit. Okay. I feel like you changed it. Like you're not. Yeah, you're it's evolving. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we, we realize that. And, uh, and, and opening, like, maybe I'll find that the pivot theory is really some part of a greater theory, you know, that, you know, uh, that, that we'll find like, and it's funny, because I, I have a friend uh, in uh, SAR. So she teaches Shakespeare. And I mentioned this to her. And she's like, Oh, it's like sonnets. It's like the turn in, son- in Shakespeare sonnets. And apparently, that's a thing in a sonnet that Shakespeare will do a, a, a turn. I don't know if that's like her, her term or his right. term. And, and like, it, it, it reflects everything. So maybe it's like a poetic thing in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Also, you said there's multiple authors. So it could be, they all have like a different that's style true. and approach. Okay. And that's another thing also, by the way, is I have not done a lot of prokim that are not attributed to David. And I wonder if these are different in the other ones, you know, that are from other authors. Okay. Last point is just miscellaneous protests. Okay. Um, so, Remember, I don't know if you remember this. We did one day the language landscape, which is you read something and you just like state what your first impressions are. I found that that's a good thing to do. Read it and read it in English and just share, just express your first thoughts of like, like what, what did you, what impression did you get? What questions stood out? Like what vibe did you get from it? What, what do you find weird about it? It's a good way to just like get into it. Okay. Like on a subjective level. Then oh, this I already mentioned is tackle Adler's question one and four then do two and then do three. That's just, and I explained why that was my, my thing before. I forgot I put it. That was where that, uh, yeah, that's where I forgot. I forgot I moved this. Um, I recommend using an English translation when you answer question one, because I think we think in English more. And when you're doing a puzzle in Mishle, there are few enough words that you can quickly switch to Hebrew. But when you're doing a whole paragraph of Tehillim, when you're thinking about it, it's easier to think freely when you're thinking in a language you understand. Uh, but when you're answering question two and you're trying to understand all the details, then because this is poetry, especially, then it does, if you know Hebrew, it does help to like look at the nuances in the language. And you find lots of nuances in Tilim that you wouldn't find anywhere else because it is poetry. Um, four, don't lose the forest for the trees. 
meaning don't get so caught up in the details that you lose focus of the big picture. Always go back and say, what's the main idea? What's the main idea? What's the point? What's the main idea? Um, and again, initially, you don't have to worry about that because it's one pasuk. You know, so it's very easy to keep focus on the main idea. Um, aim to formulate your answer to question one in a single, concise, full sentence. So in other words, when you say, what is the major theme? Don't just say, hashgacha. Okay. Say like, it's about how God's hashgacha relates equally to the animal kingdom and to man. You know, and and I find that if you can summarize it in one sentence, then you're good. And then once you get the main idea, then if you do our Michelet thing and the standard assignment, formulate it in one to four main sentences. That's always a good thing that really shows you can understand it. Um, regarding Mepharshim, uh, like we do in Michelet, think first and consult Mepharshim afterwards. But the only difference is sometimes you will have a hard time getting the basic shot of a Pasuk, in which case... Uh, go to uh, uh, you know one of the mafarshim that explains just the shot, just to get it so that you can work with it in your mind. And then after you've assembled a main idea, so what I the way I do my tell him share this year is we'll try to come up with a main idea for all of it. And then after we've done that, then we'll go through each pasuk and then do it with the mafarshim and then compare and contrast like we do with Mishlei, you know. Um, but we don't do the mafarshim at the beginning except to get words and like basic shot. And then the last tip is this is also not usually like Mishlei, read with your emotions and then analyze with your mind. And I think people who are more sensitive to music and poetry, which I am not sensitive to poetry, uh, or I'm, I'm becoming more like that, but um, but you have to let the emotions hit you. And then sometimes from that emotional perspective, you your mind picks up on certain other things. You know, Don't treat it like a dry text that you're dissecting like you would in other areas, which is other areas that's advantageous. And if you read with your emotions, then you miss the ideas. Here, like immerse yourself in, like if, if David sounds fearful, you know, then put yourself in a state where you have felt similar fear where you're like, you know, not like that chapter 91, like when he's talking about the plague, it wasn't really until coronavirus hit in spring where we couldn't go outside that I understand, oh, that's what he means by the fear about the plague that creeps in noon and how a thousand people are being killed on your right and your left. And it really helped me to like be in the mindset or the emotional set uh, that he was writing from, you know? Yeah. Okay. So that's like the crash course of Dylan and the plan for next time will be to, uh, let's try, um, uh, Ms. Leo Mashabas. And, uh, and then we might have time to do another one, uh, and just to walk you through it. And then, uh, and then we'll see from there. Okay. Yep. Have a good Shabbos and a Chag Sameach. If there's any questions, I'll take questions, but, uh, okay, the Shabbos. have a good Shabbos. Okay. Oh yes. Thanks. Okay, let's stop this. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.